0: Hello, music enthusiasts, and welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. Got a very, very exciting episode for you this week. But before we get into, you know, what my my usual stuff like. This past week in music and whatever feature that I've uh, got planned for today. Although if you listen to last week, then you... Uh, I'm pretty sure you can figure out what I got planned for uh, for later to, to today. But I have some exciting news for all of you Sweet Trip fans. And uh, if you follow me on uh, Facebook... Not Facebook, wow. There is no Sound Encounters Facebook. But if you follow me on Twitter and Instagram... Which is, by the way, at Sound Encounters on Facebook. Jesus, Facebook. What is it with the Facebook? Maybe my brain is telling me to make a, a Sound Encounters Facebook. I don't know. Would you guys like that? Would you guys like another uh, social media account to follow on, on Facebook? Uh, but anyway, I'm getting, I'm losing track. My brain's fried. It's been a long day. But what what really makes my day? What has been making this this past week just so. Wonderful! Is news of a new Sweet Trip album. That's right. I I think I uh, retweeted and shared this on my Instagram page again at Sound Encounters. Um, or I think I might have liked Robbie Burgos's tweet and then replied to it. Oh, actually, I think I did retweeted. But anyway, Robbie from Sweet Trip announced a brand new single off of their new album um a time house in secret speeches polar equals which i thought was the oh no excuse me it's a tiny house in secret speeches polar equals i'm reading from the twitter account and he had made an error and corrected it in a follow-up tweet it kind of sucks that twitter doesn't have an edit button yet but uh yeah (laughs) anyway a Tiny House, In Secret Speeches, Polar Equals, their fourth full-length album is coming out soon. We've been hearing about this album for months. We've been speculating for years. A lot of Sweet Trip fans speculating for years because they want to hear more Sweet Trip material. And this is... We're, we're going to get more Sweet Trip material, which is uh, just... Uh, it, it's... 2020 really turned around in these past couple months. Um, although... To be fair, the this new release is going to be uh, out on February of next year, so we won't get any new 2020 Sweet Trip album this year, I should say. Uh, but instead, we are getting two new singles real soon. If you go to Darla's website, which Robbie links to in both uh, Twitter and Instagram, you'll see that the, I'm guessing the single? Yeah, the, a 12-inch transparent teal color vinyl, an MP3 and... A wave file are all listed as pre-orders, and it's a double-sided single, with the first being Walkers Where We Drive Into the Sun, which is 3 minutes and 33 seconds long, and then the B-side, which is called Stab Slow, and that's 5 minutes 32 seconds long. But you can pre-order it now, whether you want a physical or digital copy, and I'm just hoping it comes out very soon, because I am itching for new Sweet Trip material. There's even a little description here. New single by Sweet Trip from the forthcoming album, A Tiny House, In Secret Speeches, Polar Equals, out Spring 2021. Walkers, beware. We drive into the sun as a call for fearless sensuality, a subtle revelation of longing, desire, and bliss warped in a simple pop song. Every guitar note, every groove of the bass line is engineered to move us into romance and acceptance that dressing and undressing in a pattern we are aching to repeat. I feel like that Well, one, this is a good description of the song and it's getting me hyped, but I feel like I would use that description for maybe a Bloody Valentine, My Bloody Valentine track specifically sometimes, which, you know, I was thinking about that track a couple days ago and I even talked about that specific track, well, that album and uh, my shoegaze, five albums to get you to shoegaze episode that I did a couple months back. But yeah, I, I would. This is a great description, and I would also apply that to sometimes that that specific song off of uh, Loveless. So, man, if it's anything like that, or if it's inspired by My Bloody Valentine, then um, I, I, I'm really excited. Or at least Sweet Trip's take, or that, that classic Sweet Trip IDM shoegaze sound, or or dream pop sound. It sounds like they are going back to that that indie pop sound that they uh, did on. You will never know why. And then Stab Slow carries over the same sensuality of Walkers into a more danceable form. A slow house influenced track with retro vibes yet unpredictable in signature Sweet Trip style. You see, they know. They know that we love their music and we already know their style. I think I was talking about it about this on my Sweet Trip uh, episode that I did about a month ago. But you can you can tell if it's a sweet trip song or not you could just tell they have that distinct sound and it seems like they're using that to, to market their their next single but that's great it, like, they know they know they're self-aware they're self-aware but anyway going back to stab slow it seems like they are going to go back to that allura sound if they're if they're going back to that slow house influence track um which is also exciting i was thinking about uh no that, that's not true i was thinking about Halika. A couple days ago i think maybe even yesterday um but Alora definitely has more of that dance house influence um and if they're gonna re-explore that or explore that again i should say um that'd be that'd be interesting too maybe we'll have another velocity design comfort release where there's just so much being packed into that album and it's exploring different styles and sounds and different genres and whatnot so to say the least, I'm 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 very excited for this upcoming Sweet Trip release. It's over, It's been over a decade now, and I think when this album comes out in early 2021, it might have been 11 years already. No, 12 years. 12 years since the release of You Will Never Know Why. So, oof, I I am looking forward to that. I try not to get excited for uh, things that. Are months away, years away. Although this isn't as ex- as extreme, you know, we're only a couple of months away from a new Sweet Trip album. But I, I try not to get excited just because it makes if it makes the wait feel longer. But man, I I am so hyped for this new Sweet Trip release, and I'll probably be even more hyped after I listen to these new singles, which again are, are hopefully coming out soon. Got my fingers crossed. But yeah, that's that's the exciting news I got for you guys. Hoping this single or these two singles are coming out sooner than later. But I just I I was just so anxious to tell you guys and, and break the news to you, especially for you sweet trip fans listening in. But enough of that. Coming up, I'm going to finish my guide to Swans. But of course, as always, we gotta talk about this past week in music. right so we actually didn't get that much new music this week which is fine by me because i don't want to talk that much uh given how much time the guide to swans will take up as you can tell by this episode's runtime as well as last week's runtime but i'm getting ahead of myself we are going to talk about some new music that came out and i went back and listened to albums that i had missed out on had uh that went under my radar, I should say, and forgot to listen to and review to. But of course, let's get to the singles first. I heard Shame, Shame by Foo Fighters, new song by Foo Fighters. And this is a weird one for me because as a general rule of thumb, I stay away from Foo Fighters because I really can't stand their brand of pop rock anymore. Plus, they haven't really released anything great as of recently, as at least in my eyes. But because we were short on music this week, I decided to, to cover them and, and uh, to see what this new single was all about. Well, Shame Shame is what you would expect from Foo Fighters. There's a dull chord progression that didn't interest me in the slightest. I will say, despite my feelings on the band, Dave Grohl is still a fantastic vocalist. I can at least admit that. But for the most part, I wasn't really feeling this new Foo Fighters song. Does that mean I might review the next Foo Fighters singles or the next album? We'll see, especially if there are more dead periods for the rest of the year or leading up to the Foo Fighters album, but I wouldn't bet on it. But speaking of great singers, Phineas dropped a new track called Where the Poison Is. And Phineas carries a strong tune reflecting on COVID and the Trump presidency. I think the hook is really catchy too, and and I love the lyrics taking aim at Trump within this uh, chorus. I even like the minimal drum beat here with some low guitar playing in the background. It's just a wonderful track that came out of nowhere, and I think it released the day Biden won the presidency, if I remember correctly. And it was smart timing, too, because it's a track that I'm pretty sure some of us needed after learning that Biden won the presidency. And speaking of Election Day songs, System of a Down is back with two new singles, Protect the Land and Genocidal Humanoids. Um, I am really happy that System of a Down came back. What a surprise drop from a band that we really haven't heard from in years, a band that many journalists and tabloids have said, listen, don't get your hopes up. They're not coming back. Well, they did come back and released two new songs on election day. Protect the Land features melodic vocal harmonies from both Darren and Serge, and it was absolutely wonderful hearing them again on this track both both of their vocals were just chef's kiss just nah i also really love the mid-tempo chunky electric guitar here it's reminiscent of classic system of a down and it made me very happy to say the least and genocidal humanoids is much faster and the guitar and drums chug along quickly Surgeon and-, and darren knock it out of the park again with their vocals especially how quickly they sing the verses another fantastic track I should also note the lyrics are mainly talking about the acts of terrorism that Armenian people are suffering in Artsakh right now, if that's how you pronounce it. So I definitely think the lyrics should be the focus here instead of the instrumentals because while they are nice, Surge and the rest of the band want you to pay attention to their lyrics as they are highlighting these injustices. I'm so happy they released new music, but also I hope they were able to bring in enough awareness to this issue. It's a great way to share uh, this this problem is, is so many people were talking about their return, and I, I even had friends texting me, messaging me about them coming back with new music. So that's how you know they're huge, and it, it's such a great way to use your platform to, to spread a political message and, and shed some light on some injustices. But you know, I, I quickly added those System of a Down tracks to my library, and I'll be listening to, to them for probably the rest of the year, because those tracks are amazing. Now that we got the singles out of the way, I'm going to move on to the LPs. Again, I went back and re-listened to uh LPs that I missed. The first being Extinction Level Event 2 The Wrath of God by Buster Rhymes. And I mentioned this project last week as I heard the uh Buster Rhymes song with Kendrick Lamar called Look Over Your Shoulder and I was just like, "Oh, the album already dropped and I'm I've already missed it." So I I wanted to go back and listen to this album and i'm glad that i did this is busta's first project in 11 years and the sequel to extinction level event the final world front this album is a lot with 22 songs clocking in at an overall length of 77 minutes and the album and what busta talks about is so relevant and so relatable as he talks about plagues a climate crisis and systematic oppression you know, casual dinner party conversations. I joke, but seriously, all of this stuff is on everybody's minds right now. In fact, I think the opening track really sets the stage for the album's narrative and tone as it acts as a preamble filled with apocalyptic images and paranoia. Busta's raspy and gravelly voice gives his bars a grimier edge to them, and I really appreciate that about this album. But there's also room to fuck around on this project, but for for the most part... Busta wants to spread his truth, and this is his way of spreading this truth in the best possible way that he knows. What I find really interesting about the album is how many references there is to old school and classic hip-hop. On the intro track, a small passage from Nas's The World Is Yours off of Illmatic plays over a piano melody. Out of My Mind uses the iconic drum roll from Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe, and Busta also samples a song of his past the quadriceps, if that's how you pronounce it, And he takes the hook from Old Dirty Bastard's Brooklyn Zoo and repurposes it on Slow Flow. Speaking of, on that song, Busta has a verse where he references all these classic hip-hop albums from Illmatic to Reasonable Doubt to Only Bell for Cuban Links. And usually I find these callbacks... Kind of lazy, but in terms of the album's narrative and how our world is right now with dealing with the coronavirus and confronting the issue of systematic racism head-on, it makes sense that Busta would pull from these classic places, because when confronted with change or during the worst of times, it's so easy to revert back to the past— you you know a simpler time and and that's what i got out of these tracks i still listen to look over your shoulder which is by far the best track on this project and listen to that jackson five sample and all that goes through my head is nostalgia and and i think that was intentional this album also has a lot of features not counting the classic hip-hop samples but we have anderson pock rhapsody mariah carey and of course kendrick lamar and they never seem to overshadow Busta, but but some were questionable and I tuned out some of the these featured performances, except for Kendrick Lamar, best feature on the album, of course. But yeah, overall, this was a, a good album. I would consider this a great album if not for the filler that is on here. You know, tracks like The Purge, You, The, the Don and the Boss. Some of these tracks just make this album a pain to get through. And I'm not saying this is a terrible album either, but it could have been a great one if the fat was trimmed. Definitely give it a listen if you're a fan of Busta and, and classic hip-hop, uh, if you haven't already. And then the second album that I listened to was My Agenda by Dorian Electra. So I decided to give this a listen because I really liked Edgelord. I thought that was a great single. And I also really like Hyperpop. You know, Dorian Electra is from that same crowd of, of Hyperpop artists, 100 Gecs, Sophie, etc., And I thought it'd be an interesting experience because this is my first time listening to a full-length Dorian project. And I know that this is only their second full-length album. But after listening to this, I will most likely go back and listen to Flamboyant because I had a blast and a laugh with this one. The production on this record was stellar. A lot of energetic EDM and and abrasive beats, which is typical of hyperpop. But to keep things interesting... Dorian injects some breakbeat into songs like "F the World," some mystical flutes that that sound like they are from RuneScape, with blaring horns on "Gentlemen," and on "My Lady," that song has a harpsichord playing alongside a hard guitar riff. You know, I was kind of complaining uh, last week about Funhouse and the way they constructed their, their their songs and some of the production, and how they didn't really keep it interesting. But but this is no problem on this Dorian project. And they all work together to create a unique sound. Uh, Again, I'm not sure if Dorian incorporated these sounds and styles in in their previous album, but I'm really digging what I'm hearing on this project. And of course, we have very ironic and hilarious lyrics that refer to internet culture as well as sexuality. With song names like Gentleman and Milady, we know we are about to hear songs about the fedora-wearing sword collecting you know stereotype that the internet created dorian is even wearing a fedora and a sword to match this aesthetic by far my favorite track is barbie boy which is a reference to the aqua song barbie girl which again the internet popularized but i love how the synths rise along with dorian's vocals because it makes for a satisfying and memorable melody definitely check out that track if you're interested in this album other highlights include give great thanks as it's a hilarious anthem dedicated to bottoms do what you will with that information the title track is also great for its village people and pussy riot features and of course edgelord takes the cake as it's a banger with, me- with a metallic beat and guitar solos The only complaint I really have for this project is that I wish it was longer. You know, I think it's just barely under half an hour long. I wish other tracks were also longer as as some feel like they were just getting started before they end or get cut off. And also my least favorite track, Iron Fist, sounds like it could have been made a couple years ago as it has a generic hardcore EDM melody that wasn't really interesting. But Other than that, you'll have a great time with my agenda if you love hyperpop and if you love... Dorian Electra. And with that, that concludes this past week in music. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, I'm going to finish that Swan's Guide. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to sound encounters it's time to finish what i started last week i am of course talking about the conclusion to my swans guide of course swans is a is a very influential experimental rock outfit from new york if you want the full context for this guide you could check out last week's episode where i go over ooh, how was it now eight Swans LPs as well as a couple of the EPs that they released throughout that time. And now I'm going to go over the final LPs and one EP on this episode. But I think it's time to backtrack because I forgot to mention something very important in the Swans discography and that is their live albums. Swans have released many live albums in their career and a lot of these live recordings are essential to get the full Swans experience. And because there is so many of them. I'm only going to talk about two of them. One later and then one right now. Because the first, the the, the, the live album that I forgot to mention was. Public Castration is a Good Idea. Released in 1986. Um, so here we are again with the grotesque names in the swans discography but this is their first live album and and it's an important one because let's say you're like me who didn't like the 1986 material at first you know greed holy money time is when he bastard a screw ep uh by the way i have a i have a new found respect for those projects now after doing the last podcast um But yeah, let's say you didn't really like them, but loved the early no-wave period, you know, filth and cop, with all its abrasiveness and brutality, then this is the live album for you. The eight live performances on this album are are taken from that that, that year's material, the 1986 material, but it's slowed down dramatically with an emphasis on heaviness. They sound like completely different tracks now, as Jira is howling these lyrics, and the instrumentation defies what we thought of oppressive Swan's music. I didn't think a hanging could be more terrifying, but I was wrong. Or how the piano on Full goes from the the melancholic version, studio version, to. This overwhelming and ruthless live version. Coward is probably my favorite recording here. Just think of listening to the studio version, but at half the speed. That's what this, this this performance feels like. But halfway through this performance, Jira morphs into this savage beast growling and yelling into the mic. Probably the most sickening performance from Mr. Jira yet. Um, it, it's very impressive, but Jira scares me. I should also mention that these tracks are taken from three separate performances, so you're not listening to a 73-minute-long show uh, of grueling music, although tracks one through six are from one show, and and the last two are taken from two separate shows. If you think their early no-wave stuff wasn't shit, um, seek professional help, (laughs) but also listen to this. It's something else. And one last thing before I get into the remaining LPs, from swans at the end of my guide I am going to offer my own listening order to swans I mean you could go in order I guess that might be the best way to listen to experience swans but if you need some help digging into their decades-long discography then you can listen to the listening order uh, my listening order at the end of this guide that's something I also forgot to mention last week Okay, so now with that out of the way, let's get back to the LPs, starting with their ninth full-length album, The Great Annihilator, released in 1995. While this is a very post-punk and gothic album with hints of neofolk, this is a return to some of the more aggressive aspects of Swans. If you thought Love of Life was apocalyptic, wait until you hear songs like I Am The Sun with its battering drum beat, the, the creepy children's choir, and Jira apathetically singing I Love Everyone. Lyrically, it's it's about you know he's talking about the sun, but there's a there's an overarching narrative to this album, and that is the Great Annihilator, which is uh, if I remember correctly a black hole destined to kill the entire universe. Yeah, I know, pretty bleak, pretty apocalyptic, and and intensifies the subject matter of a love of life. If I am the sun wasn't enough, Jira follows that song with the petrifying "She Lives." The sinister guitar drone, menacing keyboards, and and thunderous drums introduce the song. And we get more haunting lyrics as Jira seems to be thanking a woman for going insane. And it, it almost seems like he gets pleasure from telling her that she's lost her mind. It's really sickening and it brings back that fear that Jira instilled in us during Swans' early period, early phases. We definitely don't get more of those touching love songs that appear on White Light or the, the Burning World. I find this to be one of the more interesting albums in the band's discography because while we have these doom and gloom tracks like like the those two that I just talked about, um, there's also fairly accessible songs like Celebrity Lifestyle. Jira seems to take aim at celebrities and the mainstream on this track as he talks about both the, the glitz and glamour and the dark side of... A celebrity lifestyle that being drug addictions narcissism and the power that comes with fame you know he always goes back to that that those power narratives and and analogies this song also has a danceable post-punk rhythm akin to joy division and it's easy to point at this song and say it's it's the most accessible track on the album probably one of the more accessible tracks in the in their entire discography Jarboe also has some highlights on this album, her primal screaming on Mother Father is goosebump inducing, and her hushed vocal performance over the tribal drumming on My Buried Child is hypnotizing. Overall, I would consider this one of their better albums with with a touch of everything for everyone, and I should also mention that this is a companion album to Jira's solo album Drainland, which again, I don't want to talk too much about. But I do recommend listening to the opening track of that album, You See Through Me, as it's a recording of a drunken rant from Jira, which Jarbo recorded because she wanted him to hear how he sounded like when he was sober. It's a very personal song and a bold one, too, because Jira is willing to expose that disgusting side of himself, which is, I guess, nothing new for him. But this feels really like it feels like i'm violating his privacy just by listening to this song so that's that's another interesting aspect that that jira brings to his music not necessarily swans but one that he's able to 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 highlight in in his music again not going to talk about Drainland, but listen to that song and also the album too in between this album and the next they released an ep that had songs in german uh, the title of this EP is also in German, and I'm not going to embarrass myself by attempting to pronounce the name of this EP, but it starts with die uh, or D, however you pronounce it. See, I'm already embarrassing myself. Um, but this EP was uh, a sign of things to come, as it featured a lot of the sounds and styles we would hear in Soundtracks for the Blind, released in 1996. Leading up to this record... Jira was having doubts about Swans as as a whole, as he considered it a failure. And he was also thinking that he said all he needed to say under the Swans' name, so he thought it was time for the project to end. And what better way to conclude a massive and innovative project like Swans with a massive and innovative project like Soundtracks? Swans' 10th full-length album is comprised of 26 songs with a total runtime of over two hours long. This album features drone sections like Red Velvet Corridor, Surrogate 2, Surrogate Drone, field recordings like I Was a Prisoner in Your Skull and How They Suffer, live performances like Yummy App Killers, and four immense post-rock arrangements. Soundtracks was intended to function as a soundtrack for uh, a non-existent film, and that's why it sounds like it's all over the place. It's it's very much a a sound collage album, and and the most impressive part is how much the band, you know, you know Jira and Jarboe, is able to communicate within these vignettes, both narratively and emotionally. Take for instance, I Love You This Much. It's a disorienting and neurotic sound piece that's built with these eerie drones and horrific sound effects. When a song that sounds like this has a name like I Love You This Much, I don't know what to say other than what the fuck. There really is a chaotic and wicked energy to a lot of these these songs. Two songs that stand out to me are are Hypo Girl and Volcano, two Jarboe-centered tracks that that shocked me because I've never heard her like this on a Swans album before. Hypo Girl begins with this blood-curdling scream from her, and from there she gets into this disturbing character that sounds like a a parasite crawling into mines and feeding off the host's eye. And then Volcano is such an off-kilter song for the group, because it's an electronic dance song. Um, they've they've done dance before, dance in quotes, but not, not with this syncopated reverse to rave beat that sounds creepy as fuck. And the cherry on top is the very repulsive lyrics about this young star Kali only finding happiness through sex, something typical for swans, but because of the atypical instrumental uh, of this song, It really makes it stand out among other other swan songs like this. While there's evil throughout the record, there's also some light. Some lighter emotions are conveyed through these sonic explorations. Live Through Me is an acoustic guitar melody uh, that I find very cathartic and reassuring, especially after a song like Helpless Child, which I'll get to in a bit. But, but that's all the song is, a standard chord progression and some production magic, but that's all it needed to be, and that, and that ended up being a highlight for me. Even tracks like Red Velvet Corridor and Mellow Thumb have that, that same cathartic energy to them. I'm wondering if that's what Jira and company were uh, wanted to convey Especially since this was their their last hurrah, or so they thought. Uh, Jura and Jarbo also wanted to pay tribute to their family with this project. "I was a prisoner in your skull" it was a recording of a criminal taken by Jarbo's father, who was an FBI agent. And "How they suffer" features two recordings of Jura's father and Jarbo's mother. I said last week that love of life introduced the field recordings into the mix and the sampling and i also said that they weren't able to perfect it uh until later on well i was kind of referring to this project because they definitely perfect and bring a new context to these field recordings within this album how they suffer tells a cohesive narrative of jira's dad and jarbo's mom with their illnesses and ailments jira's dad was, was going blind and in that clip, and Jarbo's mother was suffering uh, with dementia. And all of this is conveyed over a melancholic synth melody. One of the many moments on this album where the text and the music work together to create that emotional potency. And finally, I gotta talk about the heavy hitters on this album. The four centerpieces, helpless child, animus, the sound, and the final sacrifices. Although I'm only going to talk about two, but th- these songs are lengthy, 10 or more minutes uh, in length. And, and, and this is the first time that swans are experimenting with the, the post-rock formula. And if you don't know what post-rock is, it's kind of a, a subgenre of rock that explores textures and timbre over uh, traditional rock song structures, chords, or riffs. And so a lot of the time, post-rock could resemble ambient music as it has the, the space and time to explore different moods and atmospheres. Post-rock also had a, a, had a jazzy phase when post-rock was first introduced, um, but they, they don't really explore jazz all that much in this record. Uh, but let's take the sound, for example, which spends its first two minutes establishing its mood, which I would describe as both somber and hopeful. The song achieves this with a drone, a vibraphone, and reverb guitars. Another thing post-rock songs tend to do because of their length is they, they slowly build up over time and usually lead to a climactic ending. And that's exactly what the sound does. It, it crescendos into this dizzying uh, forever of drums and guitars and it's exhilarating. Helpless Child on the first disc has a similar structure to it, except it begins with these ethereal and mystifying synths before it transitions to Jira and his acoustic guitar. Then after that, it it crescendos into what I can only describe as a liberating instrumental with, with a drum and guitar section accompanied by a bittersweet organ melody. If the sound was able to raise the hair on my arms, then Helpless Child makes me want to run out into a raging storm, take off my shirt, and scream to the heavens. I felt like I've talked about this album enough. Not really. We'd be here all day if I kind of covered everything that's on this album. Um, It might as well be Sound Encounters Essentials at some point because I I would have more time to explore this album. Um, And and I felt like I barely scratched the surface. You know, it's a huge project that deserves every bit of your attention because it's that kind of project. You know, I I listened to this full thing about twice reviewing... uh, for 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 this guide and you know I, i'm still amazed that i'm able to discover the the hidden gems in this record because there's, there's just so much to explore and yeah that was their supposed final testament you know they wanted to go out with the bang and, and that's exactly what they did so before they went on a hiatus although jira thought that you know the project was dead uh they released the live album swans are dead <laughs> which chronicled the last swans live performance at least so we thought, uh, from 1997. It's a double album, the first being that final show and the second being a performance in 1995, which is kind of odd that 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 performance was put second. Uh, But but either way, they they were testing out the material that would appear on Soundtracks for the Blind in that second disc. And, And just to briefly talk about it before I turn my attention back to the first, it's just Soundtracks for the Blind material but, but there's nothing different about these performances, like Public Castration uh, uh, recontextualizing the material from 1986. You'll listen to this disc and think the better versions of these songs are on soundtracks, um, and you wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> or you might not, but but, but in my eyes, it, it's not their strongest set of live recordings. However, the first disc is pretty fucking phenomenal. It's like they took a look at soundtracks and said, well, this is our final testament Let's make another final swan song for uh, just to be cheeky. It's incredible how clear these tracks sound despite it being from a live show. You almost forget that this is a live album because it's it's some high quality shit. And speaking of high quality, these tracks are transcendental and mind-blowing the opening track feel happiness has a stunning opening section that slowly builds into other amazing sections until we finally get to Jira's vocal performance at the end after most of the instrumentation has died down and and this is has to be one of the most heartbreaking performances and lyrics that Jira has performed has as written um just a stunning opening track Then we have a track like Low Life Form, which is taken from Jira's uh, solo album, Drainland, and it's pretty harrowing, especially with that terrifying drone. But then we get Not Alone, which has to be one of my all-time favorite Swans tracks ever from the very beginning. It's building to this eventual release But it's tense and ferocious, and when it finally reaches its peak, it it juggles you there, it suspends you there for for what feels like half an hour when it's only really several minutes. But holy fuck, this has to be one of the best climaxes in their catalog. It's absolutely hair-raising, and I'm mesmerized every single time I put on this track. Jarbo gets her time to shine as well on Blood on Your Hands, Hypo Girl, and I Crawled, more beautiful and terrifying performances, especially this version of I Crawled. But what really rivals Not Alone in terms of pure, goosebump-inducing performances is the final track, Blood Promise, which is a song that first appeared on Great Annihilator. But here, it's just so beautiful. That slow build puts you into this pensive atmosphere, and the instrumentation does does feel really contemplative, and, and Jira's moans and shrieks sounds like he's crying almost like he doesn't want this this you know his band to be over this experience um but we really don't have time to dwell on that as the final crescendo that final rise starts playing and it's absolutely powerful the emotion behind this track is is just so moving and and that's how i would describe the first disc it's packed with powerful and emotional moments and performances it truly is one of the best live albums I've ever heard uh, in terms of like quality, performances, um, composition. It's it's just mind-blowing. And I should mention that there's a jump scare at the end of Blood Promise, so be warned. And so, yeah, that was Swans for about 14 years. Jero worked on his Angels of Light project, which was a neo-folk and Americana project, and Jarbo left the band uh, she doesn't appear in future releases as a full-time member, although she does have some guest and live uh, performances on, on on certain albums and shows that they did. Um, but 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 their relationship ended, and so uh, yeah. Then in 2010, they released "My Father Will Guide Me Up a Rope to the Sky." So Jira finally decides to revive Swans 14 years after its initial demise. What? does he have in store for the first album in so long? Well, I would mostly describe this album as safe and predictable, which sounds bad considering the last record they released was so inventive and out of nowhere for the band. Listening to something predictable sounds boring and uninteresting. Well, after listening to the record, I can say that it's not as terrible as it sounds, and and it's kind of underrated. You could really Consider this as the starting point for a new chapter for Swans. And last week I was talking about phases—you know, three distinct phases within the band's discography—and and *Soundtracks of the Blind* signified the end of that post-punk, goth, neo era. Although it was more experimental and post-rock than anything else in that metal period. But yes, Old Swans had died, paving the way for this current incarnation, which I should mention. Swans has a completely new lineup, the newcomers, uh, Thor Harris is on drums, Christopher Pravdika is on bass, and then we get some of uh, returning members like Christopher Hahn on electric guitar, Phil Puelo on drums, Norman Westberg on electric guitar, and of course, the man himself, Michael Jira. Getting back to what I was saying about this album being safe, it's a folk and blues record with a tinge of experimentation. It honestly sounds like a carryover from the Angels of Light project. And this might turn off fans who love the heavier or experimental stuff, but believe me when I say this is a good record. How could anyone not like the repetitive, forceful guitar riffs of my birth, or the relatively tame folk sing-along song reeling the liars in, or the cacophonous and repetitive buildup and intensity of no words, no thoughts? The explosive and bewildering piano solo at the end was breathtaking and made it one of my favorite opening tracks to a Swans album ever. And there are other tracks like Jim, which is a bit of a slow burn considering its patient chord progression. Uh, This is where the blues sound and influence really comes in, as as well as a folk influence. I do appreciate the background vocals rising with the instruments and the drums and, and, and guitars providing this repetitive, memorable groove. And then you have a song like You Fucking People Make Me Sick which is an amazing title, but it's also an interesting track as the warped and thunderous outro calls back to that racket of no wave. This song is also pretty creepy as before the outro, um, Jira's 3 year old daughter is echoing Dran Banhart's lyrics, which by the way, that's a guest appearance, Um, but whenever children are involved in in a swan song, it's really off-putting. Right before that monolithic ending, they converge on that last line and their vocals are mixed higher than the rest of the 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 track and it's so sinister it kind of provided for for like a bit of a jump scare although like it's not like a cheesy jump scare that you would see in horror movies it was kind of it was like the right kind of jump scare and that's basically the album nothing too mind-blowing but after listening to their whole discography listening to the albums that follow this one i think it served its purpose in the grander scheme. Fans needed to get reacclimated to Swans before jera could unleash his full force upon our ears. And I think this was the smart move because what was to come would be immense. They followed up my father two years later with The Seer. The Seer acts as the first act in a trilogy of projects that would begin here in 2012 and end in 2016. This project and the following two have the same lineup of Jira, Westberg, Khan, Harris, Pravitica, and Poilo. However, they would start featuring more guest appearances, and, and, and this album is stacked. Guest vocals from Alan Sparhawk and Mimi Parker of Low are on the opening track of Lunacy. Karen O of the Yeah Yeah yeahs acts as the lead vocalist on Song for a Warrior. Another Young God Records artist Akron Family appears on A Piece of the Sky. An ex-Swan's member, Jarbeau, appears on a piece of the sky and this year returns. And on top of that, Jira has decided to delve right back into the sound and style of post-rock of soundtracks for the blind as he explores atmosphere, textures, and tension building on most of these songs. A couple of these songs being 20 or more minutes in length, bringing this album to two discs and two hours long. So yeah, we're in for a real doozy of an album. I think this extension of the post-rock sound and exploring ambience and tension building is is prominent on the title track. It's 32 minutes long and divided into four sections. First, an overwhelming noise section with bagpipes, drums, and a hammered dulcimer. Thanks to the bagpipes, we get this menacing underlying drone that immediately gives this track an uneasy feeling to it. Also, side note, this song starts in media res, and it's funny because this was one of the first songs from the band that i had heard and yeah what a way to get introduced to this band but um i assumed that the track that preceded this one the wolf would smoothly transition into this one nope (laughs) it just begins and and it's really jarring but i think this was a deliberate choice from jira as a way to, to shock listeners and to basically say hey pay attention or i don't know another jump scare but not like a cheesy jump scare but anyway After this intro, then the slow buildup begins, and this this takes up a good portion of the first half of the song, which is funny to say, Um, because we get these propelling drums, ominous strings, country guitar strumming, and Jira's hypnotic mantra repeating, I see it all, and it creates this sense of suspense. The tension is palpable, and it all leads to one of the most satisfying musical climaxes I've ever heard, booming guitars and drums and scanty strings creates an electrifying atmosphere, one that takes the band to new heights. 30 years after the formation of swans and Jira can still shock and astonish with his music and he still has room to experiment as the following sections of this song go from lengthy ambient drone sections to a country rock song with Jira growling out indecipherable noises and moans. There are two other tracks on this record that are about 20 minutes in length one of them I, I really want to talk about, but before that, you know, a track that lasts half an hour long can be exhausting, and, and I think that's kind of, it was intentional. Jira wanted to bring forth the overbearing uh, uh, song structures of rock and post-rock music, but sometimes you need a break, especially when 93 Avenue Blues, uh, a reckless and taxing freeform jazz and rock track, Follow the Seer, and "Song for a Warrior" is that much-needed exhale, as it's a slow and touching neo-folk ballad sung by Karen O, oh, whose vocals are alleviating. It harkens back to like "Children of God," where I'm thinking like, ah, yes, they do have this softer side to them, and it's <laughs> it shouldn't be surprising, but it's always surprising to to hear this softer side to them. Even the song that preceded this one, "The Daughter Brings the Water," is tamer than the rest of the album, as it's an acoustic folk neo-folk song. But Jira's vocals give it that darker edge. And sometimes the chaos isn't as noisy as the title track or 93 Avenue's blues. The first two tracks, Lunacy and Mother of the World, channel their mayhem from the tension that is built from the repetitious guitar chords, especially the first half of Mother of the World. God, that is a fantastic buildup. And before I move on to the next Swans project, I have to talk about the closing track, The Apostate, because this is... Quite possibly one of the best things Swans has ever recorded. In terms of tension building and a satisfying climax, the song is similar to The Seer. First it establishes its atmosphere, which is very apocalyptic due to the the lone wailing siren that introduces the track. It's very reminiscent of Godspeed, You Black Emperors, F-sharp, A-sharp, infinity, or maybe anything that they make, then explosive propelling drums. And guitar glissandos begin the next section of this track which leads into quite possibly the most grueling and intense drum solo I've ever heard. That energy carries over to the final piece of this song that has a more manageable rhythm and melody with added bells and and of course Jira's disturbing vocals. This year has to be one of the most nightmarish albums I've ever heard with, with glimpses of hell and heaven, light and dark, serenity and chaos, it rivals soundtracks for the blind in, in pure evilness, but it's another monumental project under Swans' belt. The second entry into this new trilogy was released in 2014, and it was called To Be Kind. This is another two hour double album, and it takes the repetitive post rock sound and style of The Seer and, and adds a bit of groove into the mix. The best example of this is the third track, A Little God in My Hands, as the repetitive guitar riff plays throughout the entire song. And it's the thing that stands out most to me whenever I listen or think about this song. The opening track "Screenshot" is another great example of the repeating groove, as the bass creates this hypnotic loop that will no doubt get stuck in your brain. And I wonder if this was the intention for this project, you know, Jira wanting to create these rhythms and melodies that will stay in our head long after, you know, the album concludes. I don't know, but it, it seems that way. Um, as I catch myself humming these melodies to myself from time to time. Jira hasn't lost his ambient and drone touch either, as Screenshot also explores atmosphere and textures of various instruments, including guitar, piano, and the lap steel guitar. I think the following track, Just a Little Boy for Chester Burnett, does a better job at this, however, as over the course of its 12 minutes, it develops this tranquil, ambient atmosphere that's interrupted by distorted guitars. Jira's animalistic, growling, and eerie laugh tracks. Also forceful guitar strumming and and drum pounding cut through the song's ethereal atmosphere. And speaking of forceful, one of the highlights off of this record is on the second disc, and it's called Oxygen, another track that utilizes a repetitive bass riff, but what makes this song stand out is Jira's wild and frantic vocals. He starts barking at the end of this track, which sounds ridiculous. But holy crap, it's probably one of the most terrifying moments on a Swan's record. And I never thought I would say barking is terrifying. And the bass, guitars, and and drums keep driving the song forward into this crazed frenzy until there's no semblance of sanity left. But none of these songs compare to the enormous 34-minute monster that is Bring the Sun, Toussaint Ovator. We get more of that classic anti-authoritarian and rebellious lyrics, as Jira uses the Haitian revolution general as a focal point on the second half of the song. When talking about Toussaint, in an interview, Jira had this to say, I find Haiti fascinating and tragic. Toussaint L'Ovatore was a former slave and helped kick the fucking French out of Haiti, but he died in a French prison. The first half, Bring the Sun, spends its time slowly building up the instrumental and, and Jira's hypnotic mumbling into this spiritual ascension. The choir of vocals reach the sky and the guitars and drums keep climbing and climbing. It's just brilliant. To Be Kind is another immense achievement in The Swan's discography, one that rivals the greatness of of records like Soundtracks for the Blind, Cop, Filth, and, and Children of God. The third and final entry in this trilogy came in 2016 with The Glowing Man. The last album with this incarnation of the band featuring the sextet that I've mentioned a couple of times. Another enveloping and colossal 2 hour double album. One that hits a lot of the same notes the previous two albums does, but there is something different about this project. It seems like Jira takes some time to reflect and look back at his life and, and previous swans releases and his career in this project. On the opening track, Cloud of Forgetting, we hear Jira saying this prayer where He wants to reach out to God and surrender himself to him. We've seen God pop up many times before on Swan's projects, um, but now that Jira is older, now that he has a family, he could be thinking about God and death in a different light. He even said before in an interview with The Fader that that fear of death motivates him to write songs. And when you factor that into a lot of the lyrics and music here, it, it starts making a bit more sense. One of my favorite tracks on the record, and and one that emphasizes this reflection, is The World Looks Red, The World Looks Black. For you Sonic Youth fans, if the name The World Looks Red sounds familiar, it's because that's a song off of Sonic Youth's Confusionist Sex album. Jira wrote the lyrics of that song for Thurston Moore almost 40 years ago, and and now Jira is using them again for the, The Glowing Man. So we've come full circle, it seems. Jira's version isn't as hectic as shimmering guitars and and a moderate tempo set the stage of this mellow composition. Things do get disorienting, however, as Jira's vocals become distorted and this repetitive effect starts playing as it transitions to The World Looks Black. And here's here's where things get really interesting, And, and not just because of the added choir and horns, but because the lyrics are reminiscent of No Thoughts off of My Father. The repeating of the phrase, follow the man, Uh, reminds me of that song maybe i'm crazy but i I don't know it it reminds me of that track so and i I guess it makes sense to me that jira is calling back that album which kicked off the third phase of swans so i don't know maybe i am crazy but does does it remind you of this track is it just me (laughs) anyway moving on one of the most interesting and haunting songs on this album is when will i return which features jira's wife jennifer jira on lead vocals as she retells an incident where she was sexually assaulted. While this is a bleak listen because of the subject matter, Jennifer's courage and strength is shown on the outro where she proudly claims, oh, I'm alive. She is accompanied by Michael's moaning, guitar glissandos, and a life-affirming organ melody, and it really feels like she's overcoming this horrific incident. I don't know, it was really unexpected, but it was definitely a highlight off of this record. The most visceral experience on this album, however, has to be the 29-minute title track, which transitions through many different sections seamlessly. My favorite being the intense guitar and drum section that starts about 7 minutes into the track. Jura really knows how to make the music drill into your head, as well as keep it pummeling you into submission. He's displayed that so many times throughout this trilogy, and the Glowing Man track is the ultimate display of this type of songwriting. And with that, that was the end of this incarnation of swans aside from christoph han all of the other swans left although they would appear on the next project in some way which is kind of funny but for this next iteration of swans larry mullins who joined in 1995 comes back as a drummer and newcomer Yo-Yo roham i hope i'm pronouncing that right joins as a bassist and so now we're finally caught up to the most current swans project leaving meaning released in 2019 This is another interesting project as it echoes the late 80s and early 90s era of swans because it is primarily a neo-folk and gothic country album with a touch of ambient music when swans started rolling out singles to tease this album's release i was surprised when i heard it's coming it's real because it was such a blast from the past we have these calming and twinkling guitar chords with a gentle piano melody and beautiful Choral vocals from Anna Von Housewolf, might I add. And while it eventually crescendos, it's nothing too extreme, like, you know, the previous three albums. Um, but it's definitely returned to that subdued sound from the 80s and 90s, especially Love of Life. As on this album, there's a newer, softer version of Amnesia. You know how I was talking about how Jiro was pulling from the past and, and kind of recontextualizing his career on The Glowing Man? Well, this reworking of Amnesia is the epitome of that analysis, although that this song doesn't appear on that album. This version isn't as visceral or menacing, I think I said that last week, because for a majority of, of this version, it's just Jira and the acoustic guitar with added effects and instruments and the elegant choir on the chorus. Jira also seems pretty lethargic compared to the original version. It's not like he's toned down since the 90s, clearly the trilogy you know exists but it just seems like he wanted to return to this sound but we're dealing with jira and swan so of course he's not going to stick to this one thing throughout the album i stated earlier that leaving meaning has a mix of ambient music and i guess a little bit of, of post rock too and, and the nub on the second disc is a wonderful ambient piece while jira wrote the song and its lyrics it's performed by avant-garde jazz group the next and baby d is the lead vocalist The next lay the groundwork for this ethereal piece, as the piano, bass, and drums and the drone are all cosmic. You know, it's floating in space, which is kind of funny because the lyrics kind of reference that. Baby D's vocals and the two background vocalists sound sinister, though, as they have these creeping and twisted vocals. It's kind of a contradictory listen. In that way. Like, am I supposed to feel like I'm getting lulled to sleep, or should I be worried that Baby D will enter my nightmares? Knowing Jira, I'm sure that was intentional. The Hanging Man is quite possibly the perfect marriage of the elongated tension building structure of their post rock material and the neo folk style that dominates this record. The bass, the guitar, and the drums all play this repetitious groove that is very hypnotic, but, but it's not as in, as intense as their other material. It's toned down, and while it makes you feel unsafe, at least it's not manic. But what is manic is Sunfucker, which is up there with the apostate in terms of phenomenal songs that the band has recorded in the last decade. What's not to love about this song? Those hellish background vocals in the beginning, that, that explosive wall of noise in the middle, and Jira's typical mesmerizing vocals accompanied by piercing drones that was a definite standout to me when i first heard this album and it's still great. leaving meaning is a bit all over the place but it provides some incredible moments throughout the record and and, and it makes me curious if their next project or this next phase of swans will sound similar to this one. Ooh, and with that we're done with swans. exhausting, huh? They they are a band that excites me though with every new project. even if i don't like a project or i think it's Lackluster compared to others, I can at least say that that Swans is able to surprise me, and, and and bring something new to the table. Jira definitely can't do slow change. He likes to surprise his listeners, which is what I love about the band. And now that we're done talking about all of the major projects in the discography, let's talk about the listening order. So I will always recommend that you start with Children of God and the Great Annihilator. They're they're both accessible releases, but not too accessible as it gives you a taste of of what they are capable of and sort of explore two separate eras of their music that being the the harsher no wave stuff and the gentler folk or the accessible post-punk stuff And, and from here you could branch out into two separate tracks if you want more of the brutal visceral side to swans especially if you like tracks like new mind or sex got sex or i am the sun definitely listen to their early no-wave stuff next. So stuff like Filth, Cop, Greed, Holy Money, and the EPs, uh, the self-titled EP, Young God, Time is Money, Bastard, and a Screw EP. However, if you liked the softer, folkier songs like In My Garden, You're Not Real Girl, Killing for a Company, maybe even like Where Does a Body End, then try the rest of the middle era stuff. So that's like White Light, Love of Life, and The Burning World. Although... (sighs) Burning World was the last full-length Swans LP that I listened to. And I guess you can hold off on that release until you listen to everything else. But if you just want to get it over with <laughs> or make your own decision of the Burning World, then listen to um that LP while listening to the Folky post punk era. If you chose the early no wave track, then listen to the neo folk post punk track next, and-, and vice versa, if you chose post punk. Uh, first then you're ready for soundtracks for the blind literally nothing can prepare you for this album um but at least you'll have the first nine albums under your belt before going into this beast and then you're pretty much good to go for the remaining five albums my father the seer to be kind the glowing man and leaving meaning and with that that concludes my discussion my very long discussion on swans um I really hope that I was able to introduce you in, to this band, um, even even if you're a fan of Swans, maybe you've seen different projects in a new light. I honestly feel like they have really no bad album, even even like stuff like the Burning World or Love of Life, which I feel like is is lackluster. You know, it's not terrible, and I could still appreciate it. And I I, I found a newfound respect for albums like Greed and Holy Money, which I didn't really like on first listen, but. Yeah, this is an incredible, incredible group with mind-blowing music, a mind-blowing discography. What's your favorite Swans record? What's your favorite Swans song? If you're just listening to Swans for the first time, how are you liking them? Please let me know. You can send me a message on Twitter and Instagram, or, or at least, you know, at me, respond to me, hashtag soundencounters, at soundencounters, or you could send me a voice message on Anchor. You could find a link of where you need to go in the podcast description. But yes, I'm curious to uh, how you think about Swans or, wh- or what you think about Swans, I should say, and, and what your favorite projects are and what your favorite songs are. Um, please let me know because I would love to continue this Swans discussion. And with that, that concludes this week of Sound Encounters. Remember, if you want to talk more swans with me, you can Twitter, Instagram me at Sound Encounters. You can leave a little voice message uh, on Anchor. If you look at the podcast description, there's a link. Uh, that'll take you to where you need to go in order to send a voice message to me. And if you do end up tweeting me, if you do end up voice messaging me, I'll I'll read out or I'll play your message and uh, I'll respond to it next week, next week's Sound Encounters episode. And uh, maybe we'll we'll see about that Sound Encounters Facebook page as I kept mentioning <laughs> Facebook for whatever reason my brain just wanted to talk about facebook i guess um but we'll we'll see i guess um and of course if you have music enthusiast friends direct them my way as it'd be wonderful to expand the sound encounters family the sound encounters army and that sounds a little aggressive but uh i'd love to see more music enthusiasts here And of course, if you liked the podcast, leave a little review on Apple Podcasts, and I would greatly appreciate it. And your review might be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me, then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstrike for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. this has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.